0: Hi, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women and author of the Amazon bestseller, You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. And this is The Wallet. The Wallet is here to help you make better financial decisions by talking honestly about money. I'll be sharing my best tips, inspiring you to take charge of your financial futures and talking to an array of awesome guests from all walks of life, employees, freelancers, entrepreneurs and money experts. With money habits formed by age seven, our culture and formative backgrounds undoubtedly play an important role in shaping our attitude towards money. The question is, as adults, how can we decode what we have subconsciously been taught and build a positive mindset towards managing our money. Joining me today is Selena Flavius, finance coach and founder of Black Girl Finance, the digital platform providing a safe space for Black women to get comfortable talking about money while helping them to achieve their financial goals. Black Girl Finance openly addresses and discusses the unique difficulties Black women face due to the gender and ethnicity pay gap. Black graduates are paid 9% less than their white counterparts. In this episode, Selena shares the long-term impacts of the ethnic pay gap and how we can tackle it. We also take a look at what we can do to aid our financial security during the pandemic and why Selena believes personal finance is the missing piece in self-development. I also wanted to let you know that we are not financial advisors. So the articles, the information made available on Vespot.com and in this podcast are provided just for educational purposes and do not constitute financial advice. So make sure you consult with an independent financial advisor for advice on your specific circumstances.
1: Thank you. Hi, Selina. How are you today? Hi, Emily. I'm really well, thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast.
0: No oh, it's it's my pleasure. I mean uh, today is uh, the day you're publishing your book Black Girl Finance. I'm yeah. I'm sure it's very exciting. It can be a bit scary.
1: How do you feel? Oh, I'm really really excited. I've spent the last few weeks feeling very nervous, but um now that the book is out, you know, I'm really happy. I feel excited see how it's going to be received
0: yeah fantastic so you're the the founder of black girl finance so that's like a digital coaching platform and you provide a safe space for a community of yeah money-minded black women who have i mean historically and we'll talk about that not be at the center of let's say the personal finance arena so it was really important i guess for you to also publish this book black girl finance that gives lots of tips when it comes to helping black women to achieve their financial goals. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, where you come from, your Caribbean roots? And what about these early years, your, like your formative years? Do you think they shaped your money mindset and, and your money story? So where, where do you come from and
1: why why money? What is money in your life? Yeah. So really great question. And I think it's something that we don't often dive into when it comes to having these conversations around money. And, um, you know, if you look at research, it's shown that money habits starts being formed at around the age of seven. So very, very young in our very, very formative years. And I think, you know, I wanted to create the Black Girl Finance book because growing up in a Black Caribbean household, my mum is from St. Lucia, my dad is from Barbados, and they both came over here and you know had their kids and created their lives over here you know there wasn't much conversations around finances in the household it was almost frowned upon to to talk about money and to kind of desire to have you know money and be wealthy and i think just through the process of writing the book as well it's made me really look at the cultural influences around money so you know we see certain patterns in in certain kind of ethnic minority groups uh, in terms of relationships for example and and who handles and, and makes them the financial decisions so i think it's really important for everyone to think about that what are the money lessons that we get from our parents you know in our formative years in terms of You know, culturally, there are certain things that happen within the black Caribbean households, kind of things such as partner systems and that the system of sending money back home to support family. I think that is quite unique within perhaps a black household. So I do think it's important to think about the kind of money mindsets that are created based on our culture and our background and like I said my background was that money was not really spoken about which was one of the, one of the driving forces of why I wanted to create the platform in the first place I wanted it to be a safe space to talk about for black women to talk about money just because you know in, in, within my family there were no money conversations going on
0: Yeah no I, and you described that very well in in the book like I think when you talk with your your mum and your sisters and 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 it was good to hear that now you have a sort of a healthy relationship and healthy conversations around, around money and quite positive conversation. We'll come back to like the money aspect, but you also spent uh, 15 years in business development. You worked in sales, account management, and often you were the only black women in your team. What motivated you to change your career, change path and, and retrain as a finance
1: coach? Yeah, and it's it's quite. I think I include a funny story in the book around why and taking my maths GCSE and, you know, doing a a mock exam in the first year and and not being particularly successful and then going on the following year and, and kind of smashing it. And I think that gave me the, that was the first time when I had the thought, well, actually, I'm not that bad with money. But again, I think you know, I didn't really have any role models around me who were taking that route, you know, studying finance. And um, now, obviously, I know a lot of women who are accountants and who are doing amazing things within the finance space. Um, But back then, which was quite a while ago, (laughs) I I didn't have many role models. So it it was an idea that I toyed with, but I quickly um, put that aside. I was always interested in kind of science and kind of biology. So that's the route that I took. But that little voice in my head that you know, was interested in money and finances and maths and, you know, followed Warren Buffett really closely and followed Rich Dad Poor Dad author Robert Kiyosaki. I I was reading all of those books at the same time as having my career in business development. So that, that, that money and wanting to do something in it didn't go away. And, and I guess um, creating the Black Girl Finance platform was my way of marrying the two loves, you know, supporting women. I've always been a big advocate of women. And, and back in the day, I set up, me and my twin sister, I've got a twin sister, I should say, we set up a, a sister circle <laughs> and we met a few times but it quickly fizzled out. It was before it was popular to, to have a sister circle. But, um, you know, the Black Girl Finance podcast is marrying my two loves, which is, you know, supporting women and then also the kind of money and finance space, yeah. So when when, when it
0: comes to, to setting financial goals or setting goals, I mean, I guess the, the book was, was a big one. I mean, how do you go about, um, you know, setting these goals and with all the temptations to spend, what guidance do you have for for all of us to, to stick to our goals? I mean, especially at the beginning of the year.
1: Yeah. Last year with the platform, I was doing like a monthly accountability call. So it was a group of women we got together each month and we would you know, clearly define what our financial goal would be for the month for the next few months and then come back together each month and just talk about it. You know, how did we get on? Did we, and then also as part of that process, you would set an action task to take. So for me, in my own personal you know, goal planning. I, f- I feel like I've had the most success when I've you know decided on what the goal is and not just made a decision about it. Set a date and a deadline for when I'm going to take the actual next step towards that goal. So one of my goals last year was to remortgage, and it, it was just you know setting a task to simply just you know go out there and speak to a a, a mortgage advisor, or a mortgage broker by this date. So rather than it just being okay, well this year I'm gonna remortgage and just kind of leave it. It was set in clear guidelines. And it was a similar thing when I initially got on the property ladder. I knew that by the time I was 25, I had that clear goal. And if I go back to kind of the influences of of my family, I know that I saw my mum getting on the property ladder when she was, must've been, you know, come up to 40 there was no fanfare about it. It was just something that she did. But I had that example growing up. And I remember the kind of man from the right to buy scheme, because she had a council property, which she, you know, leveraged the right to buy scheme to get on the property ladder and, you know, coming around and talking to her about it. And although when she got on the property ladder, it was done without any fanfare. You know, nowadays, if someone gets on the property ladder, it's on Instagram, it's on Twitter, everyone's celebrating it, as we should. I think that's a great thing. But I always had that example. So for me, Getting on the property ladder was, you know, once I started working... Was something that I really wanted to do. So when I made that final decision that okay, I'm coming up to my 25th birthday, I'm going to get on the property ladder, I had it all kind of all kind of mapped out, and I started doing things things such as you know improving my credit score, speaking to a mortgage broker, which was something I was really kind of apprehensive about. Luckily at the time, the first time round, I had my sister. I got on the property ladder with my sister, so we kind of joined together and um, went through that process together. So that was really helpful. So I do encourage people to you know have that team or speak to people who have already done what you want to do, who have gone through that same experience. I think it really helps. They may be able to recommend someone to you. They may be able to give you some hints and tips about it. And I think that's really important as well, having that – having people that you can speak to and knowing who you can speak to. And again, that was one of the things that I wanted to create with Black Girl Finance, having providing those resources, those connections to get you towards your goal and also having that accountability and having it really clearly dated and time stamped for when you want to achieve your goal. And if it moves, that's fine. If you have to change the the date, that's absolutely fine. You know, don't beat yourself up too much. But it's just kind of like a staying laser focused on your financial goal, whatever it may be. It could be, you know, paying off debt, it could be saving, building up your emergency fund. I think
0: these are really good tips. And yeah, for me, writing your goals is really important. And because you know, you you have them in your mind, you're working towards it really hard. But also having, yeah, having some partners, because we're talking, you know, personal finances, obviously, it's personal, we all have very different circumstances. You know, your goals are going to be different from my goals. But if we start talking about them, if we start talking about the way we manage our finances and also how we feel about money i think that can be really helpful and you you're definitely not alone there's you know tons of people having the, the same goals or sharing different financial objectives so yeah. i think leveraging people around you and your community and talking about money is really really useful and i guess that's you know what's what you're doing with 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 your community you talk about paying yourself first and that Payday is pay myself first day. What does this mean, and and how can we can we take inspiration for, from this when we manage our personal finances?
1: Yeah, I will say it's something that I read. So, like I said earlier, I've consumed a lot of other personal finance books, and it's something that was always in there. That idea of making sure that whatever you earn, you keep some money back for yourself. And I'll you know be completely honest with you when I was first reading these concepts, I, I literally didn't know what it meant. So I didn't practice it. And um, I went through a period of time whereby I was just living payday to payday, which I, again, I talk about in the book. And it's just by experience, basically. And that's the, that's the reason why I'm a big advocate of paying yourself first. So it just means to me that every payday, I simply on the day, and, and obviously with all of the apps that we use and um, you know, with our phones these days or the finance apps we have, you often get a notification when it's payday or when that money comes in. And what I do straight away is just log into my account and I just transfer a sum of money into my savings account to not be touched for the month. And the reason why I do it that way is because when I was doing it the other way, which was you know waiting until the end of the month and then transferring what was left over... I never had any money. And that was simply because, you know, week three of the month, something would happen. A friend would suggest that we go somewhere or do something, and I'd be in, you know, and also towards the end of the month, of course. I'd also be thinking about everything that I didn't get to do the previous month. And and that money would be tied up, you know, in in something that maybe I'd delayed or, or didn't purchase or delayed because for whatever reason, maybe I didn't have the money last month. So I, I do, I, I don't talk about it in the book, but I, one of the things on my journey that I've learned also is I hate the idea of kind of waiting until payday to actually do something, to purchase something, because I do feel like sometimes we can, that can put us in a cycle whereby, you know, we're so anxious to do what we've delayed doing that by payday we've already allocated that money to something else without giving much thought to the rest of our finances and how we're going to survive for the for the rest of the month you know i hate it when people say oh, i'm just waiting till payday to do this i'd rather you kind of saved up for it and then done it. Um, and paying yourself first allows you to have that res- that reserve you know when we talk about budgeting as well or when i talk about budgeting in the book it's all about having that fun money as well i don't want people to think that Managing money is just all about restricting yourself. I really want it to be clear that no, actually, you need to be doing the stuff, things that you enjoy. And paying myself first has allowed me to have so many opportunities. To, it's allowed me to do things such as study to be able to feel confident enough to create the Black Girl Finance website in the first place. To study and, you know, do all the things that I need to do to be, able to be, be confident to, to be a business owner, for example, and, and, and put myself out there and take the time to write the book and things like that. Paying myself first has been the, the difference between kind of where I was financially previously to where I am now financially.
0: And, and yeah, you explain that very well in the book, actually, and you you share your experience of temporary financial difficulty. And, and I think it was around debt and maybe credit card debt at a time where you live payday to payday. What concrete steps did you take to actually turn this around?
1: The very first step was actually stop burying my head in the sand and actually look at my numbers. Yeah, you know, I'd gone through the process. I'd, you know, I'd gotten on the property ladder after I got my like, very first kind of city job when I got that first job, actually, it was in an environment where everyone wanted to get on the property ladder as well and property ownership. And everyone had been at the company for quite some time. It was quite a, quite a steady company to be at. So that was another driving force. It was around people who were you know, ambitious and wanted to, to own properties and all of that kind of stuff. So that was a driving force there. But then also when I actually got on the property ladder, because I'd achieved that goal, I then didn't have any other financial goals, if that makes sense. So I spent a lot of time getting into credit card debt and getting into other debts that I I don't even think I I even noticed (laughs) that I was getting into debt. And I was going through that cycle. But when I finally did notice, one of the, the biggest things that I did was just sit down and do my numbers. And I say this to the clients that I coach as well, because sometimes you can speak to someone and they feel like they're doing worse off than they actually are. But when you look at the numbers, they're actually doing okay. And then equally, sometimes you may speak to somebody. And when we look at the numbers they may need to do something to, to improve the numbers, if that makes sense. So they may need to maybe cut down on some subscriptions or it may be, you know, creating some sort of side hustle to try and earn some extra income. And I do feel like the, the most important thing for me to do was to actually sit down and look at my numbers, look at how much income I was earning, look at what my outgoings were and, and just noticing the difference. And, doing that task made me think, well, actually, whereas where I was telling myself, oh, you know, I don't earn enough and I'm really terrible with money. It allowed me to stop those kind of negative money messages that I had. It allowed me to then do something. So another step that I took was actually speaking to, um, you know, the credit card company and arranging a repayment plan. And again, sometimes we have to face those scary things that we don't want to do. And actually, When I reflect back, I felt better after having that conversation with the credit card company that I owed money to. I I felt so much better because... It allowed me to put a solution in place and deal with the issue rather than just you know ignoring letters or ignoring phone calls and hiding from it. And I just remember feeling a a real weight being lifted off my shoulders. And then it kind of spiraled spiraled from there. It was kind of like a snowball effect from there. I knew that I wanted to save. I knew that I wanted to invest. And um, again, looking at the numbers, I could work out how I could allocate my money into those areas that were important to me. So saving and investing was always important. Like I said, I've always been a huge fan of like Warren Buffett, but um, it kind of was a snowball effect. It allowed me to then start looking at other areas such as saving and investing after I'd got the kind of debt management side under control.
0: No, well done for for doing that. And and thank you for sharing your story because I'm, you know, I'm sure you're you're not on your own and and very often when, you know, money, we have money issues, it's really hard to open up about this and you don't know, you know, where to start. But I think facing your numbers is actually such um, good advice and it's a really good starting point. It's not an easy one. (laughs) Understanding where you you stand and, and talk to someone, understand, you know, how, how, maybe bad or not so bad your your situation is and and what what you can do now we in a very tricky (laughs) economic situation at the moment we you know in the middle of of a pandemic so it's pretty unpredictable when it comes to our own personal finances our income uh, you know the financial market where is it going to go so I'd love to focus on what we can do for ourselves so do you have any like extra tips to remain financially secure during the pandemic? What are the things we can put in place at the moment or what are the things you're, you're doing for yourself and your clients?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're struggling with any kind of anxiety around your finances, you know, if you have been impacted by, you know, being on furlough scheme or being made redundant, I would definitely say ask for help. Speak to organizations or, you know, even if you're just going onto the website and looking and seeing what help and advice is is available to you I definitely encourage you to do that so there's organizations such as such as um, step change if they're a debt company if you are in debt and struggling have a conversation with them also if perhaps you are you have been made redundant or you um, have been been furloughed and it's had a massive impact on you we're at a time whereby jobs that once were viable are now no longer viable jobs you know jobs that have been around people have been doing for years and years unfortunately we are in that time where some jobs are classed as unviable. I hate hate that term, I should just say. So definitely do ask for help. I've I've done some work with the Money and Pensions Service and they have a a wealth of resources online that you can access. And also you can call and you can WhatsApp if you don't feel like having a conversation. There are resources out there. So make sure you get help. Make sure you advocate for yourself and and, and make sure that you are getting the help that's available to you as much as is possible, number one. And number two, if you are fortunate to be in a position whereby... You you are still working, and and I say this, you know, I know some businesses, people who have their own businesses or are still at work, and they are economically okay. I think now is the time, particularly with what happened with coronavirus, and again, we're still in lockdown. I think I was having a conversation about this in like November, December, and we were kind of coming out of lockdown. We're now back in lockdown, and. Uh, you know, we may go into even more serious lockdown. So we don't know what's going to happen. I think hopefully you would have spent the last year building up your emergency fund. You know, often when it comes to emergency fund, and even in the book, I talk about scenarios whereby the car's broken down or the boilers, you know, packed in, but COVID is, you know, impacting job security. So just ensuring you've got three to six months worth of an emergency fund saved up is super, super important. I think definitely start there. Also work on your budget. I do think as someone who never previously budgeted, I do think that budgeting is so important. And I do feel like it's important because it just allows you to recognize where you can make savings and changes and recognize what's not serving you almost with your finances. So work out those areas whereby you'll maybe a year ago it was okay to have multiple you know to have sky with all of with all of the bells and whistles for example maybe now you just need to cancel that and just get your netflix subscription get your disney plus subscription you know simple changes that you can make whereby you're not impacted drastically you still have your entertainment packages but it's just a slightly different cheaper version and so definitely do that budget and also within your budget as well i I talk that there's different budget budgeting methods within the book um but you Know, do include some fun, but also include some savings as well. There is definitely the pensions pay gap that we see. There's also, I talk a lot about the, the racial wealth gap as well, and as well as the gender and ethnicity pay gap. Because of all of these gaps, it's super, super important that we are directing our money into savings, so that emergency fund and obviously savings for any lifestyle goals or things that you want to achieve in the medium and short term, but also long term. Pensions, pensions is so important, and pensions is something that I didn't pay attention to for a very long time when I first started working. And I kick myself because I, I've missed out. I know that I've missed out on the, the power of compound interest, but I want to encourage you to, you know, if you are in a position whereby you can save and start booting up your your pension, do so. Thank you. This is so important, and and you know, thank you for also making the
0: distinction. I know we're all in different you know situations. Some people are maybe struggling with their finances, and others are. Have- actually managed to save quite a bit of money during the lockdown. So yeah, make your, your money work for you. So yeah, thank you for finishing up on, you know, saving and, and potentially investing within your, your pension. These are really, really important steps. Mm-hmm. You mentioned now the ethnicity pay gap, the 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 wealth gap. I mean, I really want to talk about intersectional feminism in in the context, maybe more of personal finance. And and that's something you also have in the book. So more companies are disclosing uh, the gender pay gaps number and discussing on this topic. So this has become quite mainstream. It's improving slowly. It's going to take a lot of time. But what we don't talk about enough is maybe around ethnicity. And in your book, you talk about the statistics from Rooney Midi Trust, which highlights that black female graduates are paid on average 9% less than white female graduates. So that's like £3,000 a year. So that's just the very beginning. So the gap is going to widen uh, a lot more. Can you talk a little bit about you know, what is the gap? What is the, you know, racial gap, uh, ethnicity gap around uh, pay, but also maybe around wealth and, and pensions?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the Runway Me Trust do some amazing work in highlighting the gaps. The recent ethnicity pay gap report just in in October 2020, which showed that the gap had um, decreased and there were certain minority ethnic groups that had, you know, were surpassing uh, kind of white, British employees when it came to the ethnicity pay gap. But it's just important to note, and it's one thing that the Rumi Mead Trust came out and said really clearly, that the majority of ethnic minority groups that are measured, um, and and I think with the ethnicity pay gap, they look at around 16 or or 17 different ethnic minority groups um, have uh, an ethnicity pay gap. So whilst, you know, I think it was people from uh, Chinese um, backgrounds, and also I think it was white Irish backgrounds, I might need to just double check that they they showed to be ahead in terms of the ethnicity pay gap than white British um, employees. For the rest of the groups, there is still that gap. And I do feel like another thing to note about the ethnicity pay gap is that companies are not required to report it. So it just doesn't there's not that much data around it in, in terms of or as much data around it in terms of what we see with the gender pay gap. And I do think it's important because, you know, that three thousand pounds equivalent per year. When we think about women paying into their uh, workplace pensions or even if they set up their own separate pension, for example, and, and, and pensions probably the easiest thing to talk about when it comes to investing. in the percentages that you invest are often linked to your income. So you might decide to invest, you know, 5% of your, your income before tax and all of that if you're part of an employee pension scheme. And that 5% that's 3, 000, of a £3,000 deficit means that when you do get to pension age, um, it has an impact, it has a direct impact with that. Also, in terms of the state pension, we see a disparity in the amount of pension that men and women get. And there are, and and I talk about it in the book, there's some Age UK stats that look at the kind of risk factors for pensions poverty. And it is things such as being from a BAME background, being female, being a single female. It talks about all of these factors that put you at risk from pensions poverty. And I and I, I do think that ignoring the ethnicity pay gap is something that can't continue. I think the last sort of consultation or the last kind of update was in 2018, and we're now in 2021. We need to move it forward. We need to definitely do something about it because it does have a direct impact on you know, poverty in old age or, or in later life. It also has an impact. We see, if you look at the data around ISIS, for example, if you look at the data around what type of ices are being used and, and utilized? We do see a difference in men and women investing in cash ices. You know, women invest more in cash ices than men. Men invest more in um, stocks and shares ices, so they are benefiting from the stock market. And you also see the more the higher earnings of, of those people that were were surveyed and looked at the higher they're investing in, in, in the stocks and shares. So it does have a, a huge impact on what we are doing with our money. Those disparities definitely do have an impact on where we're, what we are doing with our money. And again, it has an impact on our long-term financial security, essentially. So it's really important have the conversation to highlight it, to do something about it. And I I really admire those organisations who are not waiting for the government to step in. Um, They are looking at ethnicity pay gaps and actually taking steps to ensure. And I mean, one of the reasons often given is the fact that there's a lack of women or people from ethnic minority backgrounds in leadership positions so that's often the reason given and, and just putting steps in place to make to make sure you're recruiting people from diverse backgrounds and also once you've recruited them that there are perhaps leadership programs that will allow them to progress also tackling recruitment biases um that we see i could go on basically <laughs> like super super important to talk about
0: this no i think th- thank you it's really important that you know Educating ourselves is just the first step, and we'll, you know, we'll publish all these reports. But it's, yeah, what what can we do? So I think we are around recruitment, around elevating other maybe voices in finance, opening up about this uh, this difficult conversation. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. I think it's just you know trying opening the conversation and see where it goes. Yeah. Do you have a few tips for women? Um, maybe you know black women who feel you know they're not paid the right amount of money for what they're doing so if there's an issue with with the system how how can they fight how can we help them and maybe do you think they can negotiate for themselves and and how you you recognize your your so i know there's the issue of the system not working uh, but at our level what what can we do
1: I think it's definitely important to do your research. And there are lots of websites out there where you can go and check and look at what the, the rate is per kind of your job role in an in industry. Like um, is it Glassdoor, for example? And there are, I'm sure there are many other websites that you can go on and just have a look. And also, if, you, if you're able to speak to people within, within your organisation, perhaps you're going for an internal role, speak to people who have that same role. I think it's really important to say that there is a bill going through parliament which wants to make it okay for us to have those money conversations so that you know we don't suffer any kind of repercussions within the workplace and i think that's a super super important piece of work that needs to get through so do support it if you can i'm sure i tweeted about it and there's a link on my instagram bio so that you can write a letter to your mp just to make sure that they are keeping an eye on it and and pushing that through that's a lovely conversation and but um, it's super important to to have those conversations if you've got an ally at work um, someone who's you know, an advocate, an advocate for you, perhaps maybe from the same gender as you or maybe someone who's who's male and, and doing the same role. Those conversations, even if even if it's kind of hush, hush, um, even if you have to make it not obvious, kind of down low conversations, definitely do that. Do your research. I say always, always negotiate. It's quite funny. My fiance. He contracts, traditionally over the past few years, he has been doing contracting. And every single time he has a conversation with, perhaps he's speaking to a recruiter maybe, he will always negotiate. He doesn't ever say, "Okay, I'll take that salary." He honestly, he he does a masterclass in negotiating. So I wish I could record him and play it for you one day. <laughs> I've never heard him have a conversation if he's going through like a recruitment agency for a con. He will never ever just be like, "Yep, yeah, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll just accept that." He will always try it, and I do think we need to, as women, just you know, someone. If you've seen, if you had that conversation around money and finances, if hopefully if you've done your research, you'll know what to say. But, you know, try and add a bit of tax on there. You know, they can only say no. They can only go slightly lower than what you, you wanted to go for as well. So do negotiate for yourself regardless of, of what role you're going for, I'd say, as well. And, and also when going through the, you know, think about whether or not you, to put yourself forward, try and have that ally who can kind of advocate for you. I think it's important. In in anything that we do in life, to to think about those people who can advocate and speak on your behalf, if, even if you're not in the room, I, I think that's important as well. Lean on your kind of advocates.
0: No, thank you, Selina. These are these are so important, and I I agree with you. That's also not something I was doing while I was working in the corporate world, and and that's something I realised later that yeah. M- I mean I think you know negotiating understanding your own words this is so important and from you know the very early beginning so again that's something that we don't learn we've never thought about that but you know get get started negotiate understand the market understand yeah. what you can do find allies in the workplace and this is going to make such a big difference um in the long term
1: Just another thing that I think is keep a record of everything that you do keep a record of of that customer that's, that's giving you wonderful praise. Keep a record of that time you did that you know out of the box project you know out of your job description project just so that you know when you do come to have those reviews if you know if, if your company does give you reviews or if, if maybe they, if they don't if it, there's a, a bit of a less informal process do push for those, those reviews and, and have your kind of evidence as to why you deserve it make sure you're noting it down in the moment rather than kind of trying to think about it a year a year later <laughs> or you know when you decide to push for that review as well just you know that bra- kind of having that brag file I think that's also important as well.
0: Yeah and now that I mean, we again in this you know new new world. I, I think we've seen that you know women have been more impacted than, than men in terms of of employment, because also they you know they work in sectors that have been more vulnerable to lockdown measures and, and also attributed to the burden placed on on women where you know carrying domestic responsibilities are concerned. So when we Bringing actually the interaction of ethnicity into this discussion, uh, we can see that Black women again have been more impacted um, than white women by the pandemic. Why do you think is that? And and again, what what can we do?
1: Yeah, it's a really really good question, and I do think it's, it's it's the fact that traditionally we are in those more vulnerable roles. I mean, if I look at my my immediate family. I don't even have to look at distant family. Um, you know, I've got a sister who's um, an occupational therapist, and she's been out there every single day on the front line. I've got a, my dad who's a bus driver; he's been out there every day on the front on the front line. I've got relatives who kind of do stuff in the gig economy, um, whereby there isn't that kind of um, support. You don't get, you know, sick pay and you know holidays and things like that. And then also when it comes to Kind of ch- access to childcare, you know, if you're suddenly like what happened on, you know, a few weeks back, suddenly, you know, childcare was you're sorry, schools were closed with a day's notice or half a day's notice, and like, it, it has a real, real huge impact. And maybe there's not those kind of extended support systems in place to be able to just say, here, you know, so I can continue working. So you will feel a, a lot more vulnerable. What can we do about it? I think it's really, really tough because. I think the pandemic is unprecedented and that's the only reason, I was thinking about this today, that's the only reason why I'm not so hard on kind of Boris Johnson and everything that he's put in place is because obviously the pandemic is unprecedented. But I do feel like the support system that's in place, and this might sound a bit, political. I I do feel like with the pandemic happening and with all of the changes that have been made to the kind of help system, the support system that's in place, and I I guess those decisions were made with the idea of getting more people into work. So in terms of the financial support, I think it could be more. It it, It could be more, particularly at this time. The pandemic is a perfect storm, plus the kind of changes to the kind of benefit and help system, which arguably could have been put in place for a good reason. At this time, I think Decisions need to be made about how we can, you know, more support people into work. How can can we support those impacted industries such as in childcare or as well just to ensure that, you know, women have the support so they can still work and, 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 and earn the money that they need?
0: No, th- thank you so much. I think we we're gonna see like I mean the impact of of the pandemic. We see it very short term, but we're gonna see it over the the years to come. So yeah. you know it it's really important. We we understand these issues, and you know we do we do everything we can to you know preserve some of our earnings, preserve yeah. you know our savings, and and don't forget both also the you know the the longer term. Thank you, Selina. Thank you so much. I wanna finish with some. Lighter questions, maybe for you. Um, So these are our quick fire questions. Five for you. Uh, What
1: is your top financial goal? Oh, for twenty twenty one. I forget this this year. This year going one into the other (laughs) due to the pandemic. My top financial goal is around black girl finance and doing more coaching, doing more um, corporate gigs. I've got like a a figure in mind that I want to go for in terms of hitting for the business side of things so that I can continue to provide, provide, you know, coaching and services and, and, and things like that for the long term. So I've got, I've got some like personal business goals in mind. And um, when it comes to black girl finance and that, that, that's my priority, basically. Nice. All the best with this, <laughs> the best financial decision you've ever made. Oh, the best financial decision. I think getting on the property ladder. And the reason why is because at times when things have been quite tough, and I talk about in the book, I've been able to leverage some of the kind of equity that I've had in my property to pay off debt, for example. So when I, um, that first house that I bought with my sister, when we sold up, you know, the property price had increased and I was able to take some of that money and, you know, do a lump sum payment towards Towards my debt, and I think a lot of the time that's how people from other backgrounds use property. You know, we we talk a lot about property wealth and and creating generational wealth as well. And, and again, any kind of house I own, I, I'd like to think that I can hand it down to my son when he's a bit older. I think for me, like I say, it helped me when I was in a position to sell it and obviously we're not all in a position to kind of sell up and and that wasn't, I didn't sell up because I was in debt. It was just something that was natural to happen. My sister and I decided to sell up so that we can buy, both get our own individual properties. But the fact that we, you know, that one house allowed us to then go on and buy our own separate individual properties as well, which again, potentially will allow us to then pass on to our both our kind of family generation after us. Again, I think that was the, the best decision for me. And also, it's somewhere I can always go back to as well. At the moment, it's rented out, but it's somewhere that I can always go go back to if I need to. I know of some women who, when COVID has begun, you know they've suddenly been given notice by the landlord to move out for whatever reason. And, and having that kind of stress and anxiety of having to move suddenly, having to get the money up to move and all of that. Um, but obviously, it's a personal decision in property. I don't want it to make it seem like I'm saying, yes, get on the property. But for me, I do feel like that that is the best kind of financial decision I've made because it's allowed me to build up that equity. So build up some wealth. There's a chapter in the book about net worth. You know, that's a part of my net worth. And I think it can be something that will hopefully be useful, not just for me and my generation, but future generations in terms of my family going forward. So definitely that. And also just saving and paying myself first as well, if I add on a, another quick one. <laughs> <laughs> what is the worst
0: financial decision you've made?
1: Oh, my goodness. So again, back to that kind of credit card debt, I remember being in, in a, maybe not necessarily the greatest relationship at the time. And I remember going into Debenhams and Debenhams was the kind of only well, one of the only clothes shops, or the nearest clothes shop to where I lived at the time. So I remember going into Debenhams and buying bras on my um, credit card, and yeah, I, I think about it now, and it really makes me cringe because, you know, at the time I hadn't even had my my bra measured to know what was the correct size. I was buying bras that were too small on my credit card, trying to boost my self esteem because the relationship was a bit dodgy. So that was one of the things I really think about and to be honest, it wasn't just bras that just went on that credit card. There was a lot of things that went on that credit card, holidays. And, and I don't know if I talk about it in the book. They were, I, I may have written a chapter about it. I don't know if it still makes it in there. But you know, I remember going on holiday with somebody and we, due to poor planning, we were quite young. The, we landed in the airport um, and realized that to get to the hotel it was like on the other side of the country and it was late at night and all of that so you know a hotel went onto that credit card and from there it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled and sooner or later that credit card was maxed out and you know all I had to show for it memories of a poorly planned holiday and and bras that didn't fit (laughs) so that was probably (laughs) things that didn't
0: really serve me basically. (laughs) What is financial independence for you?
1: I think financial independence for me is just being able to have choices, you know, being able to have the freedom to decide what I want to do. Um, and, and that could be, it could be just being as simple as, you know, buying a book. Um, you know, I spend a, the, the last few years, I've spent a lot of money and time on you know, books and courses, whether it's the web design course to, um, you know, create the platform or, doing studying to become a better kind of financial coach and to to actually become a financial advisor. If I hadn't have got my money management, you know, or my personal finances in order, i.e. gone through that process of paying off debt and starting to save and pay myself first and becoming really kind of um, mindful of what I was doing with my money, I wouldn't have the opportunities to do the things that I enjoy and love to do and to have created the platform and to have you know been able to take the time to write the book. So I guess it's it's having the the freedom to do things that I enjoy rather than being on that kind of hamster wheel of doing a dream that I'd perhaps gotten very tired of, but feeling like I've got no other choice because I was living kind of payday to, to payday without any freedom to do anything else because I you know my finances weren't in order so you know just being in that rat rat race I I guess it's described as and and not being able to get off of it so um, financial freedom is about being able to do the things I enjoy
0: yeah and what are the things you spend the most money on at the moment
1: oh at the moment it is literally well lockdown has really curbed my spending (laughs) um (laughs) I because I'm not going anywhere. I'm not getting dressed up. So and I'm not one of those people that will just kind of dress up to take pictures because you know I don't know if you if you watch notice my Instagram. There's not many pictures of me because I'm not. I get that from my mum. She she hates pictures. <laughs> and so I'm not the type of just kind of posting selfies all the time. Um, so I I definitely don't get dressed up Um, so I'm not purchasing um, you know clothes or money to get dressed up but like I said um, I've spent a lot of money on courses and you know books if there's a book that I like I've got my subscription to um, Audible I love Audible and I love just listening to a book and and also actually last year before concerts were cancelled I spent a lot of money on concerts you know I like music I like entertainment you know I went to see Beyonce the year before uh, Beyonce and Jay-Z the year before that was great and I, I like doing things like that with you know friends and family so holiday my, my partner and I we like to go on holiday and um, we didn't last year because we were supposed to be getting married but that's been Delayed. Oh, in. Yeah. Plus, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know for. We'll only be able to have 15 people or not. And you know, we'll, we'll wait and see what's happening. So yeah, I'd say definitely traveling is quite important. Plus, entertainment. So I like concerts and also edu- educational things. I, I don't mind spending money on, you know, like a business mentor or you know my accountant very boring
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much selena before we wrap up just if you have maybe a a final tip for us so if 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 there's something you you're working on or or, you know what's next for you over the next you know five years ten years where where do you see yourself and and you know what have the the one thing that you've learned in your journey that's you know that's helping you uh, go to the next level
1: i think definitely prioritizing finances is is my number one tip because and I I say this a lot of times if I do a talk or I'm sure I say even in the book you know finances tends to be that one area of personal development that's not spoken about and like I said because if we go back to the beginning of our conversation where you know we, we spoke about the fact that money habits are formed by age seven so for someone who has been on a financial journey and perhaps the money habits that they were shown or you know given were not positive habits for example you will go through that journey whereby you have to undo those maybe negative money habits that you learn and and, and pick up so it, that's why I do feel like it's an it should be like an area of personal development we don't automatically just know how to save and invest and and how to pay off debt and you know it's a, it's a skill that we have to learn and hone so I definitely think that's my priority put it up there as you know as much as you know your gym habit or or whatever you know your self-care habit as well because sometimes a lot of the lifestyle goals that we have are linked to money and our finances so you know if you want to be able to live the lifestyle that we want we need to get you know the the financial habits to match our lifestyles and and like I say it's it's definitely a journey a personal development journey I'd like to lump it in with so definitely prioritize it and what's what's your you know
0: what's your goal maybe where where do you see yourself in you know five ten years
1: yeah definitely qualified a qualified financial advisor i've I've done things the kind of the other way around so i created the platform and, and, and now i'm spending time kind of becoming qualified as a financial advisor so i'm going through that journey now what else just to grow the platform grow the community for for black women uh, yeah just i guess more of the same <laughs> thank you so much so
0: everyone black girl finance let's talk money by selena flavius is out uh, today we're recording this episode actually a week before <laughs> a publication but when we release your book is going to be out so you can directly order it we'll, we'll add all the links we can find you on blackgirlfinance.co.uk any social
1: media where is it um, maybe it's easiest to, yeah. to to find you on Instagram, it's at Black Girl Finance UK. On Twitter, it's Black Girl with an I missing, Finance UK. Um, and then if you want to listen to the Black Girl Finance podcast, uh, just search for Black Girl Finance on all podcasting platforms. And the book is available to purchase from Amazon, Waterstones, Foils, all good bookshops, um, essentially. And it's available in audio version, paperback, hardback, whatever version you, you'd prefer. <laughs> it's all available. <laughs> selena thank you so much i really wish you all the best
0: with with this book we'll support you you know any way we, we can and uh, i hope we'll be able to to see each other very soon
1: yes yeah i, I can't wait to get out of lockdown and start seeing people <laughs> absolutely but thank you so much for having me emily i really appreciate it thank you selena bye
0: if you enjoyed this episode please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at com. Thank you. Speak to you soon.